Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm very happy to have you joining us. So as we continue to deal with the current coronavirus pandemic and the effect that it's had on our economy, we're going to be talking about a very timely topic. Today, we're going to dive headfirst into the investment world, and in particular, talk about any safe havens that are out there. What are they? How do you implement them within your portfolio? Or for that matter, do they even exist? Does not every investment possess some level of risk? So we're going to uncover a lot of the pros and cons of these alleged safe havens and debunk if they're real or not. Are they really safe? But before we go there, I just want to preface the conversation for why it's so important to think about downside protection when it comes to your financial plan. First off, bear in mind, investing in and of itself is just one spoke of the wheel. It's not financial planning, it's only one aspect of financial planning. Granted, it can be a very important one. And I think when a lot of people seek out a financial advisor like myself, that's what they're thinking about. They're talking about a recent stock tip that they maybe heard about on the news from some talking head, or maybe they're sharing a story from one of their buddies at work that's bragging about you know a stock that they picked and almost doubled their money over the past few weeks. Now, while some of those stories may be true, we just want to keep things in perspective and understand that oftentimes those are very, very rare stories. Okay, We don't always hear about all the other not-so-successful anecdotes or the failures in that other person's financial plan or uh, investment account. So again, let's keep things in perspective. And one of the reasons we lose perspective is just human behavior, in particular, the ability to have a certain level of overconfidence. That's often found amidst a bull market, just like anything else in life. When things are going really well, we forget about the downside, right? We all have some some level of short-term memory uh, that we kind of cling to. And there's a great example in that, in what's happened from 2009 up until almost today, from 2009 to 2020, uh, here in America, we witnessed the greatest bull market in uh, stock market history. Okay, so everybody enjoys when times are good. You know, to paraphrase what President John F. Kennedy once said, "All ships rise with the tide." Okay, so where does that overconfidence come from? I think that there's two traits I find often in speaking with people about their investments. The first one is just an ignorance of failure. Okay, times are going so well. I'm not a genius. I don't, I don't know everything, but let me put my money in here. I'll kind of put my blinders on, bury my head in the sand. And just every year, things seem to be working out perfectly fine. So again, I don't think that there's any threat that I need to be you know, afraid of at this point. That's the first one is that ignorance of failure. The second one, which can be even more dangerous, is a belief in a self-discovered knowledge that is different than the norm. All right. The belief that, you know, that investor has gone out, they've developed some sort of strategy or stock picking mechanism that has led them to achieve alpha, which would be a greater than normal rate of return. And the reason that they're experiencing those returns is because a certain level of genius that they possess and that they know they've figured it out. They know which stocks, which companies or which investments to choose. 
Where, again, that can happen is when times are going really well, such as 2009 to 2020, uh, when, you know, it might just be random luck or is it genius? Usually we don't know. We rely on that storyteller to delineate the difference, which can be a little bit dangerous if we leave it up to our own, uh, you know, judgment. So with that in mind, that overconfidence does happen. Again, it's human nature. We ignore the threats and we think that maybe we figured this thing out. What we always want to be aware of is that as things go up, they can also go down. We have to look no further than what happened in 2008, guys. All right. That's not that long ago. When if we just look at some stats real quick, if I can pull these up on October 9th of 2007, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit 14,164. Okay, a record high at that point in time. Then we had the subprime mortgage crisis where the real estate market collapsed and things really got hairy very quickly. As the markets crashed and eventually bottomed out on March 9th of 2009, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was at 6,547. Okay, that's a loss of approximately 53%. So think about that. People may have been investing their money very comfortably. Like I just mentioned, they might have thought, I figured this out or there's no real downside I have to think about because times are going well. And then all of a sudden, 2008 hits them square in the jaw and they've lost perhaps half of their portfolio just in a year. If you go back and talk to anybody who is retiring around that time frame, they will tell you how scary of a time that was when their quote unquote 401k became a 201k in just a short matter of time. You're talking about decades of hard work and saving that was wiped out just in a few months there. All right. So that's, that's a scary time, right? But then as things rebound, as they did in 09 and then moving forward, sometimes again, many of us will forget about what just transpired. So we don't want to do that. We want to realize that there's ups and downs here. All right. Then we had the longest bull market ever, like I alluded to, from 09 to 2020. And then coronavirus hit, right? And in just about a month's time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped almost 35%. All right. So not quite to the level of what we experienced during the Great Recession of 2008, but quite a hit that had a lot of people getting worried and, you know, deservedly so. So the people in 08, just to go back then, who stayed the course, who said, you know what, I'm going to ride this thing out. I've got the guts to do so, or I've got the time horizon to do so. Those individuals, if they had just stayed in the S&P 500, over the next 12 years, they watched their portfolio almost quadruple, all right? Now, where people really got hit hard is the folks in 2008 that panicked. And they said, I don't know what's going to happen here. I want to move into maybe safe havens, as we'll coin them. And at that point in time, they locked, locked in their losses, okay? And then they missed the rebound of the next several years, and they actually ate that 53% loss that I had mentioned, all right? And they still have yet to recover from that, I can assure you. So those are the things we have to be worried about when we're dealing with the stock market. So again, I know that things always go up, but then they can also come down. We've got to be aware of that, guys. So what are some of these safe havens that are out there now that we recognize there are inevitably ups and downs? So we'll talk about some of the popular ones, but first I want to address, well, what are threats? If we're going to have something safe, it's got to be safe from something. 
We could be talking about stock market risk. We could be talking about taxes. Or we could be talking about inflation, all right, the eroding of your purchasing power. For today's purpose, we're going to focus solely on preservation of capital. Because when we go into safe havens, which typically, you know, lower risk, lower reward, they don't have that same opportunity for a rate of return. A lot of investors will say, well, it's not really safe. If we just look at the rate of inflation over time, we're actually losing money in those particular investments. And they do have a valid point. That's something to be aware of. But when we're just talking about preservation of capital, where can we put that money? So without further ado, let's go over some of the most popular asset classes that would fit that identity. The first one's going to be cash. Just taking your money, not just putting it under the mattress, but using what we call cash equivalents. That could be your checking, savings, money market, uh, similar instruments to that. So as of today, today is May 12th, 2020. According to Bankrate, the average interest rate on a checking account is 0.06%. The average interest rate on a savings account, 0.09%. And the average interest rate on your money market account is about 0.16%. So I know, I know a lot of people out there would probably just laugh at those numbers. And they say, hey, you know, I put $10,000 on deposit with a bank. And at the end of the year, they give me enough money to, you know, go buy a stick of gum. And they're not far off with that estimation. So it's pretty darn close to 0%. Okay, very similar to literally just putting the money under the mattress. But we want to keep in mind, I mentioned that earlier this year, the stock market, the Dow, dropped about 35% in less than a month. So think about it, 0%, yeah, 0%. But that's still 37% better than what some of our investors have been able to do out there in one month's time uh, earlier this year. So cash is an asset class, and we have to recognize that. We just have to look back a couple of years ago. In 2018, cash was actually the best performing asset class of any other sector. So if you ever look at those charts, what a lot of uh, you know, finance people or stock pickers call like the periodic table of the markets, where it talks about small caps, domestic, international, commodities, and you see all the different color boxes on there and how each asset class performed over the year. If you look at 2018, cash was actually the best performer. All right. So we have to recognize that it is a uh, asset class. And furthermore, going back to preservation of capital, with most banks that are FDIC insured, that's the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation, they insure your deposit up to $250,000 uh, in the event of like a bank run or bank failure, all right? So that's cash. The next asset class we'll talk about are tips. And I'm not talking about what bartenders or waiters get. I'm talking about treasury inflation protected securities, okay? What tips are is they're an actual treasury that's issued by the U.S. government, which can have a duration of five years, 10 years, or even 30 years. And you can invest, invest as little as $100 in a TIP, a Treasury Inflation Protected Security. Now, what happens is when that, when that Treasury actually matures, you're guaranteed to receive not less than your principal. So if I put $1,000 into a five-year Treasury, at the end of those five years, I'm guaranteed to get $1,000 back. Okay, At least guaranteed in the sense that the U.S. government will pay me back that money. Okay, 
with their full credit paying ability, which is pretty secure. It's considered the gold standard uh, by most throughout the world. During that time frame, I'm going to receive interest that's tied to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is a general benchmark for inflation. So as inflation rises, the interest that I would receive from that security is also going to rise. Make sense? Now on the flip side, you might be saying, well, what if we're in a deflationary environment, which has happened before? That's a great point. Now, will you lose money? The answer is if you hold on to that treasury to maturity, again, you're guaranteed to get your principal back. So you may not have been receiving that interest, but at least you got your money back in that deflationary environment. All right, so that's kind of the uh, protection there that's afforded to you or anyone that invests in tips. The next one that we could talk about are CDs or certificates of deposit. Many folks are familiar with these or have a story about, you know, my, my grandma or my grandpa retired. They had their little nest egg and they rolled it all into a CD at the bank. Okay, doesn't that sound safe? We have a CD, which we always think of as a safe instrument, and it's with the bank, which we consider a safe place to have our money. So a CD or certificate of deposit is a fixed instrument that pays a guaranteed rate of interest backed up by that bank. Okay, they come in all shapes and sizes. You could have a one-year CD, a five-year, you know, 15-year CD. They vary, and the longer that term, typically the higher the interest rate you would receive. Again, according to Bankrate, right now a one-year or a 12-month CD averages about 0.45% interest. What that means, I put $1,000 in the CD, I get 0.45% interest, which I'm not a mathematician right now, but that'll amount to about $45. And then I get my $1,000 principal back, okay? Then we have a five-year CD, which is averaging 0.67%, okay? So what that means, again, I get 0.67% interest. At the end of five years, I get my deposit back. These are also FDIC protected, so long as that bank is FDIC insured. So it's certainly a safe way to preserve capital. Uh, however, right now, because those rates are so low, a lot of people call CDs certificates of disappointment. I think they have a valid point there. But again, we just have to understand what our investments do to appreciate you know, any of the benefit or lack thereof. Then we have bonds. Okay, A lot of people think of fixed income and bonds as being synonymous. So bonds are different than treasuries in that now we're not talking about being backed up by the U.S. government. They're different than CDs and being that they're not backed up by a bank. Okay, bonds are issued by corporations. It's a form of debt that they issue to raise capital. Okay, so bonds come with all different ratings. And typically you can find these from Standard & Poor's or from Moody's in which they assign a rating, usually according to letters, on how healthy that bond is, all right? Essentially, it's a determination of that company's default risk, which means their ability to repay those bondholders. Usually with some ratings that you'll see, for instance, from Standard & Poor's, could be like AAA, all right? That would be the safest type of bond, or at least in their judgment. Anything from AAA, which goes AAA, AA, A, okay, so anything from AAA to BBB, would be considered an investment grade bond, okay? So that's a bond from a company such as Disney, Apple, or whomever that has an assigned interest rate 
and then they've rated their ability to repay that bond to you. So you get your interest rate, and then when it expires, we get our principal back. Okay, that's what a bond is. Now you might be wondering, well, what about the ones that have higher interest rates? And they're rated below triple B. Those are what are called high yield bonds, or they're also, also referred to as junk bonds. That's right, so those terms, I think they confuse a lot of the public out there. When you hear high yield, that sounds like a good term, and then you hear junk, that sounds like an awful term. And now we're saying they're the same exact thing. And that's the way that the bond market works. So again, remember that high risk, high reward conversation. That again is a factor within bonds, okay? So you gotta be careful about that because when we invest in a bond, again, we have default risk, which we just went over, the company's ability to repay the bondholders. Then we also have interest rate risk. What that alludes to is if interest rates go up, the value of the bond actually goes down, all right? So it's kind of like a seesaw there. Interest rates go up, the value of the bond goes down. The reason being is if I buy a bond today that pays, you know, 3%, and then interest rates rise so that that company's now issuing bonds at 5%, those obviously are a bit more valuable. People want to get five versus three, so now the value of my bond has just dropped. So if I wanted to sell my bond prematurely, now I may end up getting less money than I actually invested in it. So think of that seesaw approach when we talk about uh, you know, bonds and fixed income instruments. The next one out there, another safe haven, are what are called fixed annuities. Fixed annuities are often compared to CDs in that you're going and you're buying or investing in an instrument for a defined period of time and receiving a defined interest rate. All right, very similar to a CD could be one year, five year, 10 year, 15 year fixed annuity that says we'll give you a floor of 2% or whatever it may be over that duration. Except instead of being backed by a bank, a fixed annuity is now backed by an insurance carrier. So we've now gone into the private market and we're essentially uh, forking our money over to an insurance company and hoping that they'll be there to fulfill their obligations. All right. And of course, all these insurance companies have different credit ratings, depending on how well they're doing, how well capitalized they are with their assets. So right now, again, we're at uh, May 12th, or excuse me, May 13th, 2020. The best A-rated insurance carrier out there with a five-year fixed annuity is paying 2.55%, okay, just to give us a frame of reference. So typically a little bit higher than a comparable CD, but we don't have that FDIC protection. We now have an insurance protection. The other thing too with fixed annuities is you're going to see what's called a surrender period, which means if we want to get that money back before that, that time frame expires, we're actually going to be paying a surrender penalty to the company. Okay, There are sometimes some caveats to that, perhaps 10% free withdrawals in some, others that will waive the surrender period if you have to go into a nursing home or something like that. So there are caveats to be aware of, but you really need to notice that surrender period because you are forfeiting some liquidity when we put our money there, okay? Now, another thing that you could get in a fixed annuity and not elsewhere is tax deferral. So if you have some non-qualified money that you're investing, you know, take a CD versus a fixed annuity, the fixed annuity can grant you some tax deferral. So you may not be getting those 1099s that you have to pay taxes on your interest each year. You're deferring that until you actually cash out that annuity. So that might bring some benefit to you as well. 
Another asset class that we'll tap into, and this is very commonly brought up when we talk about a quote unquote market hedge, is going to be gold. A lot of people turn to gold and think that that's a safe haven. If you turn on a lot of your news channels, you see constantly commercials, usually of our senior citizens that are saying, you know what, I had my IRA, I had my investment portfolio, I was afraid of that risk, so I transferred it all into gold. And they have gold coins or gold bars or whatever the case may be. I just caution people because we're talking about safe havens and preservation of capital. If you just Google or go on Yahoo Finance and find a chart of gold and how the price has actually moved on that commodity, you'll find it'll look almost like an EKG. It's all over the map. So naturally, how do we call it a safe haven when we're seeing the price of something be so volatile? So I don't think that the argument for gold is necessarily so much as a safe haven as it would be a hedge. We have seen over his history that in times of volatility, the price of gold has gone up. So you could make that argument that there is a hedge there. However, if we look at over time, we cannot say that gold is a hedge against inflation or a hedge against currency risk. Harvard Business Review put out a, a, a very good article that alluded to both of those, currency and inflation, and we don't see that there's that nice hedge there offered by gold. Okay, So again, the only thing we could really argue there is that when the markets go down or get very volatile, the price of gold can go up. And the other thing, too, to be aware of is a lot of people, I don't want to say get roped into, but they get lured into uh, investing in gold in the physical sense of a coin or a bar or whatever it may be. And you have to be aware that the market to go and then sell that and, and get our cash or our equity back out of that investment is quite a bit different than having a stock, a mutual fund or something that's readily tradable, uh, you know, through a broker or broker dealer. All right. Now you might be having to go to a jeweler, a pawn shop, a we buy gold store, something along those lines. And now you might not only be subject to what the actual value of gold is at that point in time, but some of the negotiating, haggling or fees that could be involved in actually liquidating that physical gold. So, again, things to be aware of. Right now, as we talk, uh, gold is trading at $1,673 per ounce, okay? But again, you only get, the value of something is only what someone else is willing to pay for it. And when we have a, a more confined marketplace, those values are, tend to be a little bit different than oftentimes we're quoted. All right, I have a ton of baseball cards over here, and I could tell you a great example about that as well that if I could liquidate them all for the value I read in Beckett's magazine, I'd be set. But in reality, if I try and sell those baseball cards, I'm not getting that money, okay? The last asset class that's very commonly brought up as a safe haven could be whole life insurance. Now, when I say life insurance, you might be thinking just of a death benefit, right? It's something that if I pass away, my family or my business would receive those funds. However, in what are called participating policies, you may also benefit from a cash value. The cash value is an equity of sorts that's built into that insurance plan. It truly is a living benefit that with most carriers in a whole life plan will grow at a guaranteed rate of interest plus the potential for dividends. So if that carrier is profitable, they can declare a dividend, which is a return of some of those profits to their policyholders. 
And that's a big difference between what are called stock-held insurance carriers and mutual insurance carriers. The mutual ones are 100% owned by their policyholders. So they're the first ones to receive those dividends. So what you'll find over time is that you're getting that guaranteed rate plus that dividend. It can grow tax deferred, and there could be some tax advantageous ways to access that cash value when you need another source for capital. Now, you don't want to touch those cash values in the early years. That would never bode well. But if we look at that as a long-term asset class, this is an opportunity to find a safe haven that is uncorrelated to the stock market. So don't overlook the cash values within life insurance, particularly the tried and true one that's been around for over a century, which would be whole life insurance. So those are some great uh, safe havens or quote unquote safe havens to think about. Again, we have cash, we have tips, CDs, bonds, fixed annuities, maybe gold in some way, shape or form, and then cash value within whole life insurance. I hope you found this helpful. If you have any questions, if you want to hear other topics or other guests, please do email us at thecadernapodcast at gmail.com. I always appreciate your feedback. And please stay tuned for next week as we have a former NFL player that will be joining us talking about all the ins and outs of finance, particularly when we can earn a lot very quickly and then lose a lot very quickly as many celebrities or pro athletes are prone to. Thanks again for turning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. We'll see you next week. The Kaderna podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 73244420. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance LLC are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA SIPC. California Insurance License Number OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.